This is Podcast Q with Matt Henney. That's me, and I'm recording this in my house, trying to hide from the heat and the coronavirus. I want to welcome to the show Marvin Lim. Hi, Marvin. Hi, how are you? Good. Marvin is an attorney, but more importantly, at least for this interview in January, he will become the sixth LGBTQ lawmaker in the Georgia House, which is a record number. He did that by winning a two-person Democratic primary in June and with no Republican opponent in November. That means he's the new state representative for District 99. And if I read my map correctly, that is the Jimmy Carter Boulevard exit just east of 85 in Norcross in Gwinnett County. Did I get that right, Marvin? That is correct. That is actually how I introduce it. I say exit 99 east on Jimmy Carter. It's unincorporated Norcross, Tucker Lilburn in Gwinnett. But yes. Well, congratulations on your win. And we're recording this in late July. So it's been several weeks since the election. Has has the win sort of sunk in yet? You know, I never thought about that, actually. That's a good question. I think part of it is because I was working so hard even before COVID-19, but especially since then, to really provide information and resources to this district. Just to give you a little bit of a background on the district, it's very diverse, 85% minorities, about a little over 50% immigrants like myself. Also, I'm a minority originally from the Philippines, moved here when I was seven. But it's also a very under-resourced area. About one in four uh, families live under the federal poverty level. Around 43% of people are uninsured. I can cite statistics. I'm very data-oriented. But so even before COVID-19, there were people were facing problems, and COVID-19 has made that worse. But it's kind of that problem where there's so much information out there that at some point it becomes inaccessible or for some people they just can't access the information because also say one in four households have limited speaking English. So even before, you know, since March 16th, like good examples, I've been updating, at least try to daily on my website, a list of COVID-19 resources. And so that work has certainly continued. We took, I suppose, took a brief break on June 8th and 9th. But since then, I've been continuing to do that work. So I guess I haven't really had time to sit and really think about what that will mean. I'm sure it will hit at some point, particularly as as January comes closer. But I think part of it, too, is not only COVID-19, but obviously in in fewer than 100 days, we have important general elections uh, coming up. And here in Gwinnett, we have a couple of important uh, primary runoffs on August 11th. So haven't had a lot of time to think, but I'm very honored and looking forward to the work that will be necessary for me to do. Right. And and so we wrote about your campaign back in June 2019. So can you talk a little bit about why you got into the race? Absolutely. To me, I've always tried to find ways to give back and particularly to vulnerable communities. I mentioned a little bit of the demographics of this area. It certainly matches up with my demographics. Now, not only am I an immigrant, I was on various forms of public assistance growing up. That became true even after we got our green cards, even after we became citizens. When I became a citizen, I was in 2008 wrongfully flagged as a non-citizen voter by Georgia's discriminatory voter proof of citizenship laws. So I tried to translate that into a career, again, giving back to people like me, especially, and especially here in Georgia. It is a bit different here in Georgia than, say, it might be in New York or California and the West Coast. But then this opportunity uh, arose to run for this open seat. And I thought, why not? I love this community. I love uh 
the work of the Georgia General Assembly. I was I used to be a lobbyist for the ACLU of Georgia. So I thought not only I had the skills, but also some of the uh, background experiences. And I also thought that I'm a person that loves bringing out the voices of other people. Like in my campaign, I before COVID-19, I ended up knocking about 3,500 doors and told over 100 of the stories of people in this district on social media. You can find that now all on Instagram. Um, but I wanted to do that because, yes, I have the skills, I have the experience. But more than that, I want to bring out the voices of these com- this community. And there's obviously at running for state representative, I discovered this quickly, people, there's sort of a, a cachet there. Like I was like, at one point, I guess I could knock on people's doors and tell them about the resources in their community. But because you have this position, you can use it for the benefit of everyone in your community, including making sure that not just my voice, but other people's voices are heard. So that's why I took this step to, you know, yes, I've been a civil rights attorney. I've done lobbying with ACL of Georgia, but this opportunity arose. Why not go for it and make an even a, a, a bigger or, or yeah, a, a difference on a larger scale. When you mentioned the the lobbying for the ACLU and you did that at the state capitol on several issues, including religious freedom bills, uh, criminal justice reform and, and privacy rights. Is that going to help you once you're a state lawmaker in January, that experience? I think so. I, certainly on a number of different levels, it can and likely will help. I think on, on for example, one level is just knowing the variety of issues because when I was at the ACLU, we did track, you mentioned several of them, we tracked a number of different issues. So many lobbyists there, not all of them, but a lot of them are focused on a single issue. And while I had one client, as it were, the ACLU of Georgia, we do focus on the Bill of Rights, the Constitution. There are a lot of issues there. So I learned how to track hundreds of bills. I learned what it was like to draft a bill, certainly to (laughs) criticize a bill, to look at a bill and see what the unintended consequences are. But beyond that, I learned what politics is really like. I understand I won't know till I actually get there, but I, I know that politics can sometimes be many times actually not transparent. Uh, just like with voting precincts, sometimes a committee meeting will be posted about 10 minutes before it. And so to me, I know what the process is like to an extent. There are many parts of it that I hope to be part of changing for the better and changing to bring out the importance of, of various issues. And hopefully, you know, what Democrats do take the House in, in November, that will certainly make it a lot easier. But even before that, I think all of this, whether or not that happens, rather, all the skills I've learned will help me, not just on the technical side of bills and analyzing them, but also the process of politics. Yeah, as, as someone who's written about the legislature for a number of years now, I can I can attest to that, that there are political shenanigans that uh, that go on all the time and <laughs> as, uh, as the sausage gets made or as, as laws get made. So. Absolutely. Actually, just this past Friday had a conversation with um, Representative Sam Park, and I was telling him, please arm me with all of the information 
that you can so that I can be prepared for all these things. Because speaking of unintended consequences, I do take this position seriously. Like you're making decisions, again, whether the Democrats are in power or not, you have a very important voice. And I want to make sure that I'm using that voice and platform and position in a way that, yes, benefits people, but also doesn't unintentionally harm other people. And when you're in the state legislature, we are making all sorts of decisions. And I was telling him, steal me against all that as much as possible so that I'm always living by these these values and not first not doing any harm. So and, and he took you by your hand and said, Marvin, let's sit down. I, I don't think you have time for for all, for me to tell you all of that. That's <laughs> so probably a lot. Well I mean think that's I think that is one of the benefits of winning the primary and having no general opposition Yes, I'm. You asked, has all of this sunk in? No, it hasn't. But I will have more time than other people who are still winning, arguably even more critical races because they are trying to uh, flip a seat. So for me, I am taking this time to to prep myself. Yes, helping those people as well, um, but also prepping myself for the job at doing the job at hand to the extent I can, but also prepping myself for the things that uh, I know are coming down the pike. And so when we profiled your race last year, your platform included several things uh, in pushing for an LGBTQ inclusive civil rights law, expanding Mm -hmm. Medicaid, repealing the abortion ban, expanding Marta and Gwinnett, implementing an inheritance or a state tax uh, to fight wealth inequality and eliminating voter ID and proof of citizenship laws. Are those still sort of the the key components of of what you're going to be looking at when you uh, get to the House in January? Yes, for sure. For me, you know, after our interview, I ended up categorizing my platform, as it were, into a focus on lives, livelihoods, and votes. Lives, livelihoods, and votes. So lives are things like making health care more affordable, obviously expanding Medicaid. I also want to tackle and help regulate some of Georgia's monopolies that increase health care costs for everyone. Livelihoods are, are things like expanding various forms of health care and economic assistance. That's certainly a, a big focus of mine as well. And something that really developed into a focus again, even before COVID-19, but especially after, is supporting a lot of the small businesses because the small businesses up and down, we mentioned we're on Jimmy Carter. A lot of them are truly small, very diverse, very immigrant-led. We've had trouble getting information to them about the various resources they may apply to. There, There is a certain level of being overwhelmed about applying to SBA loans or applying to Federal Reserve loans. So what can I do to make that more accessible, uh, even from a policy standpoint? And also, yes, focusing as well on votes. I mentioned I was wrongfully flagged as a non-citizen voter. I do not have to go over all of the ways that voter disenfranchisement happens in Georgia. Unfortunately, because I've been personally impacted by that, and not just myself, but again, a lot of the people in this district, that is certainly something I will be tackling as well. And and finally, of course, with LGBT uh, anti-discrimination and just LGBT issues in general, that being a part of my own background, and also, again, being a part of my prior work. When I was at the ACLU of Georgia, I was actually crafting uh, one version of what a comprehensive anti-discrimination law would look like. That was my focus when I was at the ACLU of Georgia. My, my specialty was the intersection of religious freedom and, and equal treatment. So that is certainly something that will be a big part of my platform, especially with what we saw uh, in the past few months with hate crimes. We know there's still a lot of work to do from a policy standpoint, but 
more broadly from a cultural standpoint as well. So hopefully lending my voice to that as well. And we've mentioned you mentioned a voter ID and 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 voting in general a couple of times. So I wanted to ask you: Is uh, the June primary was problematic? And that's probably a, a, a very nice, understated, polite way to say it. Uh, in many in many areas across Metro Atlanta, so is Gwinnett ready for November? And and how do we have an election that is free of, of voter suppression? At this point, no. You know, I'm not, I'm not talking to them every day. A uh, few, actually, even while absentee ballots were still being counted, my campaign manager and I paid them a visit, and we dirt, certainly got to observe some interesting things. And as we know, with what happened in June, a lot of it was the Secretary of State was saying, "Oh, it was the county's fault, the election board's fault." The election boards were saying, "You know, we didn't get enough resources from the state." I think on both of those fronts, there's a lot of room for improvement. So to get more directly answer your question, uh, Gwinnett right now isn't ready. We are pushing them on a number of ways to get ready. A lot of that has to do with just the transparency in process. Uh, Even right now, we don't know, for example, whether absentee ballots, request forms will be mailed to everyone. At least the Secretary of State hasn't said whether they're doing that. Is Gwinnett going to do that? If, If Gwinnett is not going to do that, are there groups in line to do that? Because my campaign, even before We'll say even before the Secretary of State uh, did that, we mailed out close to 5,000 absentee ballot request forms. Um, and we did the bilingual Gwinnett one. So on one side was English, the other side was Spanish, because we are what's called the Voting Rights Act covered jurisdiction for that. But we don't, we don't know what Gwinnett will do on that front. We still don't know everything, what the processes will look like. In in my own race, we had a couple of issues with machines not being ready, people not being sure about uh, whether their provisional ballots would count a precinct changing at the last minute. So there is, all I say, there's a lot that can be done with just providing resources. But I do want to emphasize that a lot of it is also just making sure you have a transparent process because so much was left non-transparent. Again, even to the point, the three weeks, two weeks after they were still counting absentee ballots before certifying results, there was a black box on what that process actually looked like and how certain votes would count. Um, what they would do to ameliorate certain parts of the process with exact match, et cetera. Not going to get into too many of the details, but beyond just providing resources, there needs to be a lot more transparency in how this process actually will be run. Because if you're saying you won't be able to do this or not doing this, then we can at least respond better as private citizens, as campaigns, as parties. So they're not ready yet, certainly pushing them. And if they're not ready, we, certainly my campaign, I will be prepared to do everything we can to help the voters, certainly in this district, make sure that their ballots count. I think to answer the second part of the question, why do we know what does it need to take to have fair and free elections, essentially? You know, a lot of it is there are a lot of discriminatory laws here, both intentionally, even if they don't want to admit it or otherwise. But I think a lot of it, too, is that we are under-resourced and and understaffed in in so many ways. I think particularly for the counties, I saw when I myself was again disenfranchised in 2008, there was the discriminatory voter proof of citizenship law. But that was also the year we will recall somewhat fondly, hopefully, uh, where President Obama, or then candidate Senator Obama, was running for election. So there was going to be record turnout. And at that point, Gwinnett wasn't prepared to handle all of these absentee ballots. I cast my vote absentee. 12 years later, very similar scenario, but 
you have to tackle it from the perspective of not just trying to get rid of these laws, but making sure that people, counties, election boards are equipped with the resources to handle that and pushing all of the possible entities to be transparent with their process. So you were born in the Philippines. And if I read your biography correct uh, or your biographical information correctly, moved to Atlanta with your family when you were seven. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Uh, sort of how did that background and uh, kind of shape you and, and did it impact you during your, your campaign for office? Absolutely. I think it, it certainly, yes, impacted my life and impacted my deciding to run for office and how I've run this race. In one way, I think it definitely gave me an insight obviously into the immigrant experience. I mentioned a little bit of that earlier. Not only was I an immigrant, but we were on the lower end of the socioeconomic spectrum. We were on various forms of public assistance. So I get a little bit of insight into what that is like for that group. And again, in this district, HD 99, there are many of uh, that type of profile. But I think it also shaped me, again, to, to give back because, yes, I you know, went off to law school. I suppose I could have, you know, done a big law job and made money. There's certainly nothing wrong with that, particularly if you're using it for your family. But I always wanted to find ways, again, to to help others, particularly of that background. It, it is interesting being different, again, particularly in Georgia, because I would recall, I can speak clearly recall going to trips to Stone Mountain as a child, field trips. And now with the reckoning of this country and, and Georgia around Confederate symbols, et cetera, we're having more of that conversation around that. But even then, it was odd to a lot of my classmates, most of us were minorities, about why we were doing that. So I think that the fact that we were in that position, we were different, the other, as it were, we can speak a lot to what that difference is like in a way that others are perhaps only learning now because we're finally having, to a greater extent, these conversations. I I guess a a more pithy way to say it is there's a certain level of lived experience there that I think has shaped my life and, again, has shaped why I'm running for office. Right. And I, and I think that lived experience is, is the uh, it's fantastic that, that lawmakers at the state capitol will see more of that, because I think that's that's fantastic and something that's that's long overdue. Absolutely. So Gwinnett is the state's second most populous county and now has a minority majority population. It has long been a white Republican stronghold, but that clearly is changing and, and quite dramatically. You're now the fourth LGBTQ person elected to office in Gwinnett. There's Sam Parker, you mentioned. Mm-hmm. Uh, who was in 2016 was elected to the state house. And then in 2018, Everton Blair became the first black and first gay person on the Gwinnett County School Board. And Ben Koo became the first Asian American and first LGBTQ member of the Gwinnett County Board of Commissioners. All Democrats, all non-white, all LGBTQ. What's happening up there? Is there something in the water? I mean, what's what's going on? <laughs> Who, who would have ever thought Gwinnett County was going to be able to say that they have four uh, elected officials who are, are LGBTQ? I don't think there's something in the water. I was I had a conversation with the district director for the Environmental Protection Division last week, <laughs> speaking of prep, but I did not ask that question. So next time I will ask that question. Uh, is there something in the water? I'm going to guess no. But so <laughs> Gwinnett, you're 
<laughs> Thank but you for clearing that up. More, more broadly speaking, I think that when you see other people who, if not look like you, um, certainly stand for the values you stand for, it makes it easier for you to do it. I think having, for me, having Sam Park already there and Commissioner Kubenku, who is in this district, doesn't live too far from me, it made it easier for me and to run for office. I may have still run anyway, probably still would have run, but it it takes a lot of the pressure off because one thing I can say is that like, even before, again, recent national reckoning, identity has been a big part of my own race, um, whether that's racial uh, identity, immigrant identity, LGBTQ identity, being a Catholic, I am one of those progressive Catholics that's trying to change Catholic church from them. Anyway, those are things that come up. And even though I might not always want to talk about that because nobody wants to be essentialized, essentially. It will repeatedly come up. So I think having people who have already been through that made it a lot easier for me to go through that myself. When I talk to Sam Park about what it's like to be, for him, Korean American who might not, who's younger, who doesn't fit the stereotypical profile, what that like, what that has been like for him to talk to sort of the elders of that community who might not share his views. I learn a lot from that and can apply that to my experiences because there are certain levels or types of difficulties with that, that, um, they're difficult, so they're not easy. So that makes it certainly easy for me. Hopefully, we'll make it easier for others because running for office is something else for sure. Um, it is something else for sure to be so public. And I remember as I was getting closer and closer to June 9th, the primary date, I was telling people, I've never, so I've had big goals, arguably even bigger than this, but they've never been so public and so scrutinized. So having people like that trail blaze for you and do it in a way where they are talking about their identities or they're asked constantly about their identities makes it a lot easier for me to handle that. Well, and what's interesting too, is that uh, all those Sam, Everton, Ben are all young as, as you are. So I think if I did my math right, you're 36. Yes. Okay. And, and that is unusual for the state legislature as well. So uh, there's all these sort of different things, LGBTQ and, and, and you're like Sam going to be a, a relatively young lawmaker as well. So um, I guess there's a lot of different, different identities to, to balance. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and so, and that kind of leads me to my next question, which is, you're going to be one of six LGBTQ lawmakers, law, LGBTQ, oh my goodness, I always get tripped up on that. And I shouldn't, you would think after all these years, I would be able to say it with, with ease. Legoptica. <laughs> one of six LGBTQ members of the General Assembly um, and or of the Georgia House. And so there sort of comes dual responsibilities. You have your District 99 in Norcross and you're so, you sort of are representative of the larger mm-hmm. uh, gay community, queer community in Metro Atlanta. How do you have you thought about how you balance those two things? And while you're answering, I'm going to go practice my pronunciation so I can get it right. <laughs> um, I 
have thought about that for sure. You can tell, or hopefully you can tell that I talk a lot about my district, but I also have done a lot of analysis of identity and again, what that actually means and what I'm representing and, and not representing. I think for me, I am fortunate to live in an area that, again, is very diverse. And there's a lot of diversity within that diversity. So I mentioned the immigrant population. There are, sorry, dog is whining. There are a lot of. Oh, see, I thought those were mine. So I'm glad it was your dog. I I kicked mine out of the office before I started. So, but, so I thought that was them at the door whining. So it's no, no problems. That's one of the, one of the fun things of, of, you know, doing broadcast during the coronavirus pandemic. You never know if there's a kid that's going to run by or a husband or a dog or whatever. So. Absolutely. Well, well, speaking of diversity in the district, um, there are, I was just thinking that this morning because we were walking around and there was like, there's so many different types of dogs here. But anyway, to get back to people, there's a lot of diversity within the diversity, even among the immigrant community. There are a lot of Latinxes, Hispanics, but there's also a lot of Asian people. And within that, there are varieties of ethnic groups, et cetera. And that is certainly true of of people here. I will say when I was canvassing campaigning, I knew some of the LGBTQ people here, but certainly had not met all of them and met a lot more than maybe I thought to meet, which is arguably why the census should have a question about that. But that is a separate issue for a separate day. Um, There are certainly a lot of LGBTQ people here, but more broadly, there's a lot of diversity within the diversity. So that makes it a little bit easier for me. And I'm also to that point, I I also know that at the end of the day, I am a representative, but I cannot represent every possible voice, which is why it is so important for me to make sure that the voices of other people are represented. When that comes to the LGBT community, obviously, I'm going to ensure, given the intersectionality of my district, there are a lot of LGBTQ minorities, that that type of voice is represented. But no group, as we know, is a monolith. That is true of the LGBT community. That is true of Asians. The best way to do that is, again, make sure that Yes, I'm speaking for them in some ways, but to make sure that they also are using their voices to to speak out. So short answer is it makes it a little bit easier because my district is so diverse. It's also progressive, but I also continue fully, fully intend to continue. Rather, I can practice that phrase later to make sure that the variety of voices in my district continue to be represented. And you mentioned encountering LGBTQ people uh, in the campaign and out in your district. What is there a, a, a LGBTQ community in Gwinnett? Uh, is there an organized presence? I know Atlanta has Midtown, but you know what? What is it? What's sort of the the feel uh, in Gwinnett? Absolutely. Well, Gwinnett is obviously more spread out. Mm-hmm. There are certainly pockets of it. I, last year was the first time uh, there was a pride in, in Norcross, the city of Norcross. So not technically in my district, which is unincorporated. But there are certainly pockets of that here. For me, more broadly, though, uh, or at least not more broadly, actually more narrowly, in this district, the LGBTQ people I met didn't necessarily know each other. That is part of why I'm running as well, to make sure that the bonds or to help foster the bonds among people of different identities. I remember, not specifically with LGBTQ, I remember canvassing and I met a new uh, Salvadoran family in the community and I introduced them to 
some other Salvadorans in, in the community as well. So that's the type of thing I like to do. Um, but to get back to the LGBT community um, more specifically, there is a community here. They're, they're more spread out. But I think for, for my district as well, it is interesting because even though they're spread out, a lot of their concerns are the same. Um, just very quickly, I will say with LGBTQ people in this community, the number one issue that's come up is is healthcare related. And I think I mentioned earlier about 43% of the people in this area are not insured in general. That's among the entire population, not just LGBTQ. So it's not surprising that among LGBTQ people I have met, that would be an issue. So um, even though there isn't necessarily the social bonds, and again, hoping to foster those among various communities, certainly a lot of the issues tend to be, at least from my experience or from, from what people have told me, are, are very similar. What what are you seeing in Gwinnett uh, in terms of social justice protests and calls for police reform that have just been eclipsing uh, all, all counties across Atlanta? What, what, what are you seeing in Gwinnett? Absolutely. There have certainly been a number of, of protests. I've been part of a couple as well, but there are also very organized groups. I am a part of a group, um, Alliance for Black Lives, that is um, working to ensure police accountability in in Gwinnett. So there are protests, but there's also a lot of the work that goes behind the scenes, or at least right now behind the scenes, to ensure that we are harnessing this momentum to make sure that there is long-lasting change. Because part of, obviously, part of the reason that this is at the energy level it is now, you you cannot divorce it from the fact that COVID-19 is happening. And there is already a social injustice there because that is disproportionately impacting uh, black and brown people, communities of color, immigrants, et cetera. And then when you add the fact that there is now a a light that is being shown, there are a variety of incidents, um, tragedies, really killings of not just um, Ahmaud Arbery down in Brunswick, Georgia, but obviously George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, we are seeing a spotlight on that. And these are issues I mentioned in, in, in HD99, a lot of the issues that this community of racing were not new. Uh, they happened before COVID, but COVID-19 has shown a spotlight on that, made it worse, but also shown a spotlight on that. That is true for what is happening with Black Lives Matter and and racial justice in general. Gwinnett being so diverse is a big part of that. And we're working to ensure that that energy is harnessed towards longer lasting change. Well, that was that was going to be my follow up is how do you turn the the protesting and the activism into political change, especially in a state capital that's dominated by white Republicans? Absolutely. I think the most important thing is to make sure that people know that there are um, well, first, making sure that people are affirmed. Of course, that is always the most important thing. So to the extent people do want to speak and we should encourage those who want to speak to speak up. We want to continue giving, affirming them, but also giving them a platform to speak up, whether that is protest, social media, or a variety of different forms. There are people that are interested in, you know, maybe their entryway was into protest. What can I do beyond that? Okay, they're you know, we're potentially writing this letter. You could join, you could talk to um, your, have you ever talked to your precinct? I encourage people in this district in, in non-emergency situations to reach out to their precinct. We're served by the West Precinct here in Gwinnett. There are many ways to ensure that if you want your voice to be heard, and again, we encourage that, you can do that in a way that isn't just 
one form because a protest is important, social media is important, other forms of action are important as well. So when one of those might not get more attention than the other, know that there are still ways for you to make sure that that voice is being heard. And that will translate as well into votes because really, I mean, you mentioned the Georgia General Assembly, the way that we can make the most broad change is to change who our lawmakers are. Um, Certainly that is true at the federal level. That is true at the state level. That is true at the county level. But people have to go vote to do that. So here in Gwinnett, for example, you mentioned we're recording this in late July. We have an August 11th runoff for for sheriff. The current sheriff in Gwinnett cooperates with Immigrations and Customs Enforcement, ICE, the 287G program. So we have an opportunity to elect someone who is make sure going to make sure that that is not the case. And that is certainly true in November, on November 3rd as well. We have a number of different, very important elections. Your voices can be heard there. Your voices can be heard um, we saw it more recently in, in Gwinnett, be able to change their minds of the school board to ensure that we were not going to have in-person learning, at least at first. So that is the way that we translate it, uh, making sure that people find their ways for their voices to be heard. Least, um, or sorry, one of the most important being at the ballot box. Right. And in Gwinnett, I think there's also a, a, a vote for Gwinnett commission chairman, right? Absolutely. Very important. Um, very important an opportunity to make a fundamental shift that is reflective not only of what we look like, but also the lived experiences and ultimately the values and opinions of people here about where this county should go. Right. What, uh, how have you been, been impacted by the coronavirus pandemic? Just you personally, and I, I think you mentioned that your district has uh, a lot of, of residents who don't have health insurance. Uh, so how has how's the pandemic impacted District 99 as well? Absolutely. For me, whenever asked me, anyone asked me how you're doing, I always say I'm, I'm very fortunate. I was working from home uh, before that, I work from home on a, a couple of different jobs, but I, I was working from home, so I have the privilege of of doing that, and that also makes it easier to socially distance. Now, of course, like everyone, we're sort of missing those social bonds, but on the whole, I'm I'm quite fortunate um, to be where I am. But I think more. Sort of beyond that, I think psychologically it has had an impact on me as it has had in everyone. I think in large part that is because before that, before that I was like, I was canvassing pretty much every day. So before the last day I was doing lit drops or canvassing was March 16th, which is really when things started to hit. And I remember the last time that uh, I was out with my boyfriend, um, we were at a restaurant, uh, owned by someone in this district and and his partner, so another LGBT couple, and we were thinking this might be the last time we'll get to do this in a while. So for me, this the social bond, trying to find ways to keep those up, that's had a sort of psychological impact. But more broadly, with this district, it has been very difficult. Beyond what I've already said, when there was a push for reopening, and I did mention that I was trying to get information out to people about all of these programs for small business assistance up to, I dropped by over 100 businesses to just give them basic information in a social distance way. But there were so many businesses here that were facing that awful choice between should I reopen because this is my livelihood um, and without it, I don't know how uh, I will draw a source of income, but there was a choice between that and reopening and 
facing a variety of different issues like the health of their workers, the health of themselves and their family, and um, at least before whatever law was passed, exposing themselves to, to liability. So when you have people that are so hardworking, again, a lot of them are diverse immigrant businesses, making this choice between their lives and their livelihoods, it's so difficult to do that. And I'm not a small business owner, but I've tried to do everything I can to equip them with that. But I think that speaks so much to the dilemmas that people are facing uh, if you have already had socioeconomic or other challenges before COVID-19, that is a window into what this pandemic is doing to to worsen that. I keep saying a lot of us want to go back to normal. But when I say normal, I that, that doesn't mean I don't want things to change because for so many people, the old normal was already bad to begin with. So there are people that are facing these choices they shouldn't have to face. But, you know, we talked about this in the context of social justice. I'm also trying to do everything I can. And I'm hopeful that when all of this gets better, that we are harnessing this energy around COVID-19 to ensure that we are addressing healthcare outcomes, to ensure equity of access to a variety of different resources, to make sure that it doesn't just go back to the old world. Marvin, this has been great. Thank you for your time. And my last question for you is where can people find you, follow you, find out more about the work that you're doing? Absolutely. Um, my I'm most active on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Marvin Lim for that's F-O-R-G-A. Marvin Lim, F-O-R-G-A is my consistent handle, so to speak. So that's also true for Twitter, twitter.com forward slash Marvin Lim for GA. Finally, got all my pictures up on Instagram of all the people I canvassed. That's instagram.com forward slash Marvin Lim for GA. My website is www.marvinlim4ga.com. And you can email me at Marvin Lim for GA at Marvin Lim for GA.com. You did great. That was fun. Thank you again, Marvin. I appreciate your time. And thanks to everyone out there for listening. Subscribe to Podcast Q to keep up with new episodes and follow us at theqatl.com. See everyone soon. Thank you. Thank you. Bye.